Father, thank you for um, the opportunity we have to, to dig into difficult topics and topics that are, are of utmost importance to the Christian life. We just thank you for, um, for, for all of the things that you have given us, um, the blessings that you've given us, and the tools that you've given us to live this Christian life and to give um, us the best chance or the, to give us sanctification as, as a means um, that you've given so we just pray that you'd be with us, be with the conversations today and the discussion. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right. This is my first time ever teaching Sunday school. So uh, if I'm bad, uh, just it'll be fine. And I have solace in that after this, I'm teaching the four-year-olds. So I'll give it another try with the four-year-olds. So hopefully <laughs> it'll go well from that. For you're, that. you're practicing on us. I'm so. practicing on you and then the four-year-olds after that. So hopefully we'll talk about something interesting. That's a um, I do teach for a living, but not uh, this topic. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, so we'll do a little bit of a recap from the, from the previous weeks. Um, I, I don't want to spend, we're kind of at that hinge point where we've been about halfway through uh, the class. Um, so the book, I know that everyone's probably said, but the book that we're kind of going through is Sanctification, um, A Transformed Life. And so uh, the, my um, topic this week is time to get the knife out. So we'll talk about that. Um, I also have used some other uh, books that I found really helpful. One is Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Um, and I brought them just in case... Uh, this uh, translation by Aaron Wren is actually really, really good. It's a little bit, it's not the abridged version, the Puritan abridged version, um, but it's really helpful and it's written in a way that's easy to understand. And then Sinclair Ferguson, Devoted to God, is a more thorough um, treatment of uh, sanctification. And, and I've used uh, folks smarter than me much more heavily uh, than probably myself uh, when I was preparing for this. So what is uh, sanctification we talked about? And I'm, I'm, I might write on the board a little bit, but uh, I think everybody's written the justification, sanctification, glorification kind of thing. Um, and so, so justification is a completed work that has happened in the past and is applied to us. Sanctification is the ongoing work um, that uh, is, is definitive but still progressive in our life and then glorification is is at the end of our life uh when we when we die we're glorified um and so this idea of sanctification the the the, the sort of this already but not yet of we're justified and glorification is a is a reality that we can expect it's a hope that is a sure hope right what is that process what is what happens in between right and so sanctification is what happens in between. So it's a process of being coming holy or Christ-like, um, which uh, previous folks have talked about being set apart. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism kind of summarizes this the best. Um, sanctification is a work of God's grace whereby they whom God has before the foundation of the word, world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the, the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts, those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened as that they may more and more die unto sin and rise into newness of life. So that's the larger catechism's longer version. But I think it really, you know, probably encompasses all that we're talking about what is it it's it's a process there's there's a, there's an increase and there's a there's a positive progression and every everyone looks differently um so this is a necessity of the christian life so we can't so so uh as a believer if we've been saved and just and justified uh, we can't not be sanctified like that is part of the part of the package deal it doesn't come separate um, we talked, uh, and so uh, I was supposed to um, to teach the the work of God, the Trinitarian work of God for sanctification, but uh, COVID hit, and uh, Ryan filled in, um, and um, so. But that is the work, the work of God. So God is working sanctification in us, and it's a Trinitarian work. So God purposes it, purposes it, and plans it, right? The Son dies and gives it to us, and then the Spirit works 
and applies it in our in our lives. You think uh, you can resist it? Uh, for a time, but a true believer would not res- would not ultimately resist the work of the Spirit, and we'll talk about that. Um, so this uh, this session, we're going to talk about kind of more the practical application of how we do it, right? So fighting sin and the the details of that, um, resisting it it would be a str- would be a, an additional struggle for a Christian because the Spirit is indwelling us, right? So it would be fighting and fight like fighting against. Um, two two different you know parts of, of what's what's going on with us, um, and then last week kind of teeing up this conversation, uh, Danny talked a little bit about uh, so the the title of the book, the chapter was plain sailing, um, so so now that the sanctification right is this definitive sanctification, so the scripture talks about it being a, a sure thing, it being a completed thing. Our sanctification is a completed thing, but it's also a progressive thing. So definitive sanctification, but also progressive sanctification. So because that work is done and the Spirit is doing that work, or God is doing that work through the Spirit, right, is, is does that mean we just coast along, right? So plain sailing, we're just in a sailboat and there's no waves and we're just kind of coasting towards our glorification, right? And so last week, Danny talked a lot about, no, that's not um, what happens, right? This is not uh, something that is easy. Um, it's a struggle and it's something that we'll struggle with until um, we meet Jesus, right? That's that's kind of the, the understanding. <clears throat> And so this, so this session is going to be more talking about what does that look like? What does that struggle look like specifically um, and practically? So I want to, I want to caveat or, or kind of preface the conversation today by, especially because we're going to be talking about practically about fighting sin to say that this is not a, a legalistic fighting of sin. So this is, we are doing this work of sanctification with the spirit and when we talk about obedience and fighting sin this is not pulling us pulling up our bootstraps and fighting because this is it's all our own effort right we this conversation and and what we'll talk about today is in light of our justification the sure the surety of our justification so we are not doing the things that we'll talk about today to be saved or to be in right standing with god we are doing these things because he has saved us and he is sanctifying us and the spirit is at work in our lives as true believers, right? Um, and so that's why that's why these practical things are so helpful. Um, good summary for those who have been here or s- s- kind of good, good, all right. So the chapter title is uh, Time to Get the Knife Out. So what is that? mean time to get the knife out right um ferguson has a similar chapter called in for the kill right that's his chapter title uh and um you know i've i've used i I use ryle holiness by ryle to 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 kind of think about some of this stuff i don't have any specific quotes from him in this uh session but i think his is like in for the battle or the battle has begun or something like that so um these are like violent language kind of things, right? And it's a reflection of what Paul has talked about, right? In his, in his, in scripture about how we are fighting sin. So this is battle language. So we're not talking about like, Paul doesn't use the terms like negotiation, right? He doesn't use arbitration and mediation when he's talking about sin. This is battle. Like we're fighting, like we are getting our knives out. We are, you know, trying to mortify sin. We're not trying, we're trying, mortification is killing sin. We're not trying to negotiate with sin. We're not trying to just play patty cake with it and kind of let it, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, agree to disagree, right? And, you know, so, I mean, I know in, in current events, that's, it's a little bit difficult to be talking about like this kind of battle language, but this is what the, the scriptures, this is how the scriptures talk about our fight with sin, Right. And so uh, Ferguson makes a really good point when he's when, and why we're using this language and why is is because of our justification we are in the battle and we don't have a choice to be in the battle before our justification we did there were no competing sides so we were slaves to sin right we were in sin that was our thing 
that was that was that was the only right we we could it was suppressed maybe but it was our only thing it was the only thing that was in our lives that was motivating us right so at our justification when we came to faith in Christ we now have a competing side the spirit is indwelling us and the spirit is against sin in such a way that it's a battle that is waged in our beings every single day and we can't we can avoid right we can't avoid that battle but it's to our own detriment right so so there's there's a sense that our justification has signed us up for this battle that's present and we we can't we can't we can't pretend it's not there right mm-hmm. we can we can for a time but it's not going to be good for us to pretend it's not there because it's there's a battle being waged right so uh so then we we need to figure out like if we're in a battle what what are the terms of of, of the battle right and what does victory look like we know what that we we have an idea of what that looks like right and who and what is the enemy right so we would say that sin that is that is left over that we used to be a slave to um, is still indwelling us it's not our we are not slaves to sin anymore um, but it's still there and it's still a, a presence in um, our lives right um, the chapter really starts talking kind of talks about so we'll get into like fighting sin and what that looks like practically um, but the, the chapter actually starts talking about obedience and what that means. So can someone read, um, this is the Great Commission, but can someone read Matthew 28, 16 through 20? And please stop me if there's questions or comments or if I say something heretical. Again, first time, want to keep those guardrails up, right? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus directed them. And when he saw uh, him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, uh, I am with you always to the end of the age. Great. So I want to focus in on on the last part of what of Jesus's great commission. A lot of people will take this and say this means we need to go evangelize the nations, right? We need to uh, spread the gospel to the nations. But notice what he says in chapter twenty. He says, "Go make dis- so nineteen. Go make disciples of all nations." baptizing them appropriately in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So that's the, the evangelism gospel proclamation part of the, of, the, of the Great Commission. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he's teaching. He, we aren't just to stop with the gospel. There's a gospel part, and then there's also this teaching what he has commanded. So what has God, what has, what did Jesus command, right? So we can, we could go back and we could think about um, the, his, the two great commandments uh, that is a reflection of the 10 commandments. And really we're talking about God's moral law, right? So we're not stopping at just the gospel. So conviction of sin, repentance, baptism, like that part is part of the great commission. But then what do we do? We don't leave them where they're at, right? We go on and we say, we're going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's an obedience component to the Great Commission. There's a gospel component, and then there's an obedience component. And so that, uh, so Campbell in the book kind of gets it, kind of digs into that as what, like why, what does practically sanctification look like? And the, and the main thing that it looks like is obedience Um, to what God has for us, right? So Jesus embodies, Jesus's obedience is part of our, is, is, was our justification, right? His active and passive obedience, the theologians will say his active obedience of 
actively following God's law perfectly on our behalf and crediting that to our account, right? And his passive obedience of dying for our sins, right? Those two, the active and passive obedience, right? So that is Jesus was obedient for our justification. But there's also a sense in which his obedience was a model for our sanctification, specifically his active obedience. So what is he... In essence, he is saying in the Great Commission, I want you to teach all that I've commanded. I want you to I want you to show people what a holy life looks like and use me as your model for what a holy life looks like. What does it actually mean to live a holy life? What does it actually mean to be set apart, right? Thoughts about that? You don't have the same conversations with your friends anymore. Yeah. Yeah, conversations are different, right? Because the nations is out. We often think of the Great Commission as being the nations being out there, but there it's here too in every conversation we have, right? So he, uh, Campbell says, uh, as obedience marked him, so obedience should mark us. So part of sanctification is identifying in Scripture what God's will is for our lives, right? And strive to live in conformity to it. So how do we know what sin is? We know what sin is because God has given us his moral law, which tells us what sin is. Otherwise, we wouldn't know, right? We know that uh, stealing is a sin. How does that play, play, play out in our lives, right? How is uh, coveting a sin? How does that play out in our lives? Those kinds of things are how we identify sin. And we have, we're not just, this is not just a mind thing. This is the spirit working in us, right? And what, I can't remember who said it, but they, I think it was Ferguson said, a lot of times we like to think of the spirit as something that goes straight into our emotions and feelings, but our, the spirit is also affecting our minds. It's telling us, it's convicting us of sin, right? It's telling us what's right and wrong. It's giving us the discernment to know how God's moral law, which may not in, in, large picture apply to our lives, how it can apply to our lives. And so um, that's the idea of obedience. So we are being obedient because Christ was obedient for our justification. And he is he served as the perfect model for what sanctification looks like. And if sanctification is that process of becoming Christ-like, then it is a process by which we are obedient to God, what God's will is for us. And that leads us into talking about sin specifically. So obedience helps us understand the moral law and how the moral law affects how we operate in the world and our conviction of sin with the Spirit's help. And so how do we deal with sin? So we've talked a little bit about this, but the, the Martin Luther famous quote of simul justice et peccator, so simultaneously saint and sinner, right? That's the kind of the, the one of the big things that we talk about. So we have, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we still have indwelling sin that we will have until we are glorified. And again, going back to the language that we talked about, this is a fight or a battle. Sanctification is a fight or a battle against sin. Um, lots of there has been lots of, of focus on Romans in this study, and that's appropriate because Paul is really, really nailing that, especially in six through nine or six through eight, chapter six through eight. Um, but Romans eight uh, twelve is kind of going to be the focus for um, our conversation about about this. So, uh, can someone read eight uh, Romans eight twelve and thirteen? So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Awesome. And I actually like that translation better than the ESV, um, because the point that I want to make here is putting is a present continuous tense. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a place where we're talking about progressive sanctification and not definitive sanctification. And so notice what Paul says. He says, we are debtors or slaves, not to the flesh anymore. 
He's talking to believers here. But we are, but we still live according to the flesh. So this, this already not yet, there's this, we are not slaves or debtors to the flesh, but we still have fleshly bodies, right? And that means that we still have sin. If we live according to, if we continue in slavery to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit, so there's, there's a lot to unpack it here. We're, we'll kind of go through that by the spirit. So we're not doing it by ourselves. This is not our, our pulling us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, sin, you will live. So there's a lot there. There's what happens if we are if sanctification is not happening in our lives, right? That that would be an indication that that we are not true believers potentially and the the outcome of that is death, right? But we are not slaves anymore to the flesh because the spirit is working in us to kill sin. And that is going to result in life. You will live, right? That glorification component of it. Um, Can I ask a question? Right sure, now? yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know if it's true for everybody, but you you feel like you're doing well for a while. And yeah. all of a sudden you get you're kind of out of the, the mode, right? And you worry, am I really saved? Sure. So the question there is, how do you know if you're really in the spirit getting it done or if you're doing it through your own work? Yeah, I think there was a similar question last week and I think Danny's answer was was, was great. The, 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 the conviction, the desire for repentance that would be present there is... So, and we'll talk, I, I think actually Owen does a, an incredible job of, of, of really hitting this. There is an, there is an idea that, um, there is an idea that sin, you can, you can do it on your own and it's going to be really superficial and outward. Um, but that deep longing to not sin, even in times where, uh, you fall or you, you have those kind of step backs yeah. that we talk about, that is kind of the 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 mark right we that that's kind of the mark of somebody that is just trying to be a religious person versus somebody that is truly saved right that the deep longing for conquering sin even if we're unsuccessful at times okay. so anyone else want to add to that oh, that's a good thought? enough answer though okay you know i think i've always heard it worded that if you're struggling with the feeling am i saved and you know i keep sitting in this way and it's bothering me Mm-hmm. You know that is the role of the Holy Spirit, sure, in you, convicting you, right? I see. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, you're safe, right? Amen. Yes, yeah. the Holy Spirit's There's not in hope, people right? that aren't saved. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that question. So Owen says this uh, really succinctly: neglecting sin killing puts us into a state opposite of the one God calls us to. So if we're neglecting that sin killing, there's, there's, a, there's a mysterious component of the spirit doing the work, but he's doing it through our obedience. If we're neglecting that sin killing, we are flipping Romans 8, 12 and 13. We are saying, uh, we are, we are saying we're pursuing death, the flesh and death, right? When we, we, really sh- we really should be through the spirit pursuing killing of sin in life. So when neglecting that kind of puts it in reverse, so Second Corinthians four sixteen. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. And if we're not pursuing killing sin, then we're flipping that. We're saying our inner our inner self is wasting away, and our outer self is being potentially renewed. But we're focusing on the spirit and, or the flesh instead of the spirit. So how do we do it? How does that uh, fighting sin um, occur? And I'll couch all this, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish, hopefully, with some, you know, positive, like last week. So this is not just about struggle and battle and no success, right? Um, but how do we do it? So this is going to be on the practical side. And I kinda, I, I've kind of brought all three of these authors in here because I think they kind of come at it in, in a different way. So Campbell, uh, very short, kind of succinct, succinct um, view of um, how we fight sin. Um, so he says the words ruthless. We should be ruthless in fighting sin. 
no quarter. We should we should give sin no quarter. There's no no foothold at all, right? Uh, we should our aim, our goal is to rid sin from our lives. That should be our goal. Is that a goal that we will attain on this side of heaven? No, right? Uh, Owen would uh, reflects that. He said it's uh, you know when he's talking about killing sin, he says we we should not think we should aim for absolutely killing sin, mortifying sin all the way. That should be our goal, but that is not something we should expect to realize on this side of heaven. So Campbell will say, we should say no to sin. So we should say no to sin and we should steer clear of sin. So very kind of basic. And then I want to kind of take one step in and talk from what Ferguson, you know, how Ferguson kind of talks about he talks about developing a mindset. So he talks about necessity as a mindset, the necessity of fighting sin. Why is it necessary for us to do that? Um, because we, are, we have our eyes on Christ-likeness and our sanctification and glorification is a sure thing, but something that we have been asked to do. By necessity, we've been asked to do. We have a responsibility to fight sin Again, because that's our minds. That should be our mindset. Developing and cultivating this mindset. Um, I, the, the third one, I think, there's four kind of parts of the mindset that he's talking about. The third is ability. So before our justification, we did not have the ability to fight and kill sin, but because of our justification, because the Spirit is indwelling us, we now have the ability to do that, and that's exciting and empowering. Because we're doing the work, but the Spirit's actually doing the work through our obedience, right? In that mysterious way. And then we now have a will that aligns with that. Before we were justified, our will was to pursue our flesh, to pursue the desires of our flesh. But now our will has been changed. Our heart We've had a heart transplant, right? Our will has been changed, and now we have the will and the desire to do that. Um, and then Ferguson talks about dealing with the root of sin, which Owen gets into a lot of guarding your mind, filling your mind and living in fellowship. So how, like practically, what does that look like? And just like sanctification, we, and I think everyone has kind of talked about this previously, just like sanctification is going to look different for every per, for every Christian. So fighting sin is going to look different for every person, but some practical things we tend to think about sin as the outward manifestation of what's occurring. But that often is too superficial for us to really understand. So if we're in a battle and our enemy makes a move, right? Why is the enemy making that move? There's some root cause for the move that's made, right? Um, so understanding that this outward manifestations or the outward thoughts of our sin is sometimes not deep enough for us to start fighting. And if we fight at that superficial level, we're not really getting to the root of what's going on. So um, I think last week, lust was an example or anger. Those are examples of, of types of sin. They may manifest in a very specific way, right? So they may manifest, anger may manifest in yelling at your spouse or yelling at people a lot and having an angry attitude disposition right and if you say to yourself i'm just going to stop being i'm going to stop yelling right yelling is the outward manifestation of the inward sin but that you're not dealing with that the root cause of the sin you're only dealing with the outward manifestation of it so that's kind of the point that ferguson and owen to a, a deep a larger extent make guarding your mind um is is one of the things that ferguson talks about um, so guarding your mind, this would kind of get to saying no to sin or steering clear of sin. How do we guard our mind? So if we have specific sin tendencies, how do we guard our mind against those tendencies coming to fruition, whether that's anger, whether that's lust, whatever that is, jealousy, those kinds of things. And then filling your mind. So instead of cultivating the, the thoughts of sin, filling your mind with holy things. So. For, you know, for me, uh, podcasting, listening to sermons, listening to, you know, other things that, that keep my mind occupied because the idle mind is the devil's playhouse is the old, you know, the term. I don't know who said that. And then live in fellowship. 
So he recommends living in fellowship because that will help us both hold a mirror up, right? So that other people can maybe see sin that we can't see ourselves. And will help us um, to participate in the means of grace that's going to cultivate the Spirit's work in our, in our lives. Um, thoughts so far about that? Yeah, I was going to say that's... Uh, we, Ryan's talked about it a little bit. John Moffat used to talk about it a lot when he was here, but... And there's obviously some nuance, I think. But, sure. Um, you know, the idea of spiritual disciplines, these things that we have to do, by the nature of thinking of it in that way, is incorrect, right? Because there's, <clears throat> when, you, when you use the language of have to do, mm-hmm. there's now requiring it, there's now that sort of bonding legal language. Sure. You could easily sort of correct that by saying these are things we now get to do. But instead of thinking of, of the disciplines as these things that we have to regiment ourselves in, we think about them as ordinary means of grace. Yeah. Right? So I think um, there's a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. I think you've we've read, I don't know, we've referenced it, but um, he ref, uh, refers to them as the helps. Yeah. As opposed to the disciplines. Sure. The helps. And he mentioned specifically, you know, spending time in the Word and, and praying and being in fellowship with one another. And so what's interesting is when you talk about the the outward manifestations as opposed to the sort of the inward root, those inward roots are these really high level sort of realities. Anger is a much higher level, broader reality than yelling at your spouse. Mm -hmm. So the means of sort of battling those things is also a little more broad, right? It's not just, I'm gonna make myself stop yelling. It's, I'm gonna figure out why I don't want them angry. And then I'm going to go to scripture. Scripture is going to remind me that being in anger is sin. It's, it's, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want to, you know, do that injustice. But, sure. You know, we, we tend to be so focused on the granular that we forget the sort of the higher level realities of, like I said last week, you know, we get so hung up on one particular sin that we forget. And then that becomes this thing in our life that we look to that sort of tries to rob us of the joy of our assurance when in reality we could be growing in other areas yeah we could be growing in joy and peace and kindness but we're so stuck on this one particular sin sure um that we miss the the greater work that's going on uh, in us through the spirit absolutely yeah thank you i think the the ditches of antinomian and legalist are, are kind of really present here right like there is there is a sense and these, especially Owen and Ferguson, are very pastoral in their approach of, you know, we can get to those spiritual disciplines and a regimented checkbox of things. And, you know, they might help, but they might distract us from the gift of assurance that we have, right? So while sin is serious, absolutely, absolutely serious, and sin will kill us, and, and without our justification is sure to kill us, right? Um, the, the fighting of the sin is a joy. There's a joy. There's a, the, so these things are kind of helps. Like, I, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, Owen, you know, talks a, a lot about this and mortification of sin. I, I could, we just did a book study on it in the men's uh, book. Uh, we just finished it, I guess, this uh, last summer. Um, so his famous quote is, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, right? That's the t-shirt uh, kind of thing from John Owen. And, and Owen is, I mean, I was kind of daunted by the idea of approaching Owen, you know, in, in the book because it's a, a Puritan. And, and I, I, I think we all, the, the small group of us, found his book to be so pastoral and caring and not, and, and really brought, like, towed that line between antinomian and legalist without really falling into either ditch. So highly recommend, especially that uh, translation, which I think is a really, really fun, practical translation and makes him the most approachable um, of the of the different kind of translations that are available or versions that are available. So there's a there's a, um, a, tr- a translation of Mortification of Sin by Aaron Wren. Um, the cool story about this uh, is that he's I think he's a lay person that they've always talked about how, hey, we want to we want to read John Owen and we want to sit down and like do a Bible study on or a book study on him. But um, they would get a couple chapters in and just be like killed by the the, the old English language. And uh, 
So he his his thought was like, well, I'm gonna go translate this into a into a way that's readable and approachable, not abridged. So it's not an abridged. There's the full version. There's an abridged version by Puritan Press. It's like a little small book. This is kind of in between the two, and much uh, probably a little bit less of what John of Owen's actual words, but a lot like hits the high points. He does admittedly um, soften some of Owen's. Um, criticisms of of the of the roman church for example because owen is is kind of no quarter when it comes to the roman church um so he softens some of that and admits that but i think it's a really good um translation that's helpful so owen talks about uh sin as far deeper than we think it is so it's not this superficial oh i did this action or i didn't do this action and that means that i've got to correct this thing he talks about it as being far deeper, and he talks about it as an animate force in our lives that never rests, never stops, is always there, even when we don't think it is, and is always trying to seduce and tempt us. And so I think his description of sin makes sin far more serious than I think maybe the Christian church has has generally kind of, you know, in both of the, both sides of that, right? The legalist will say, well, just read and pray and come to church and that's how you overcome sin. And that's, that's topical. And then antinomian, well, you've been justified, so you could do whatever the heck you want and, you know, you're, you're good, right? Um, you know, so Owen kind of get and, and paints this picture of this, like, something, in essence, a force that you want to battle against, right? He creates this, like, like, why does Paul talk about killing and battle when he talks about sin? And he does a really good job of painting this picture. Like, this is a bad thing in our lives, and it's more serious than you ever thought it was, and it's always trying to get you. Like, the devil is always trying to get you, right? But it's always trying to find a foothold in your Christian life to combat what the Spirit is doing in your life. And so he talks about what killing sin is not, first so he defines his terms as what it is not and this is very simplified but he says it is not killing sin is not changing external behavior we've talked kind of talked a little bit about that it's not about killing it changing external behavior we could change external behavior but not be dealing with the sin that underlies that right one of the things that i thought was kind of interesting and this is probably just as prevalent uh, in in uh, modern uh, american uh, church now is killing sin is not cultivating a calm and quiet personality. And so he goes into this, like, it doesn't mean you're the nice guy. Like, just because you're nice and you're calm and outwardly you kind of show this, that does not mean that you're killing sin. All it means is that you're putting on a facade, in essence, right? <clears throat> and the other thing that I think is incredibly practical and, and convicting, and, and t- especially for me, is killing sin is not diverting to some other outlet. So it is not saying I'm having a problem with lust. I'm going to go be angry and that my lust will go away because I'm too preoccupied with being angry. Right? So he talks about diverting like what's okay. So in 21st century America, right? What is the worst kind of sin in the church that you can have? Right? Let me avoid that one and go with one that's more acceptable. Right? So I'm not going to lust and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be gluttonous instead, that kind of thing. Right. So he says, those are things that, that's, that's not like, cause you're just, you're just dealing with the superficial. What it is, is a regular habit of weakening sin in your life, a regular habit daily, no days off, unfortunately, right? No days off a regular habit of weakening it not killing it. You don't kill it. You don't just stick a knife in it. It's done, right? You weaken it over time, just like it is trying to create a foothold in your life and become more prominent than the spirit. Your obedience to the word is to weaken that sin through repetitive, habitual activities, whatever that looks like. Helps. Taking those helps, not disciplines, but helps. Constantly fighting against it, and then seeing frequent success against it. So seeing the success of weakening sin and that is empowering. It's kind of like 
the Dave Ramsey method of, of, uh, of paying bills, right? Like you pay the one with the lowest because it makes you feel, you know, you, you get the satisfaction of paying off your, your debt, even if it's a higher interest or whatever. So the idea of like seeing, like understanding and to Danny's point, like under, like seeing the work of the spirit in weakening that sin, not just focusing, solely focusing on, I've just got to keep fighting, but like fighting, weakening it, and then seeing that weakness because that's empowering and showing you, proving to you your sanctification is happening. You know, I'm in, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about all that, I was just thinking, you know, it was kind of like when we were young, we had a problem with overspending. Yeah. And didn't really think it too necessary to pay it off of ten, right? And that's kind of the root problem, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in this sense, it would be, I'm asking the question now, is would it be like the part where you go, you know, I really enjoy being debt-free. I don't think I'm going to cause any more bills. Yeah. I think I'm going to have some fruit in my life that says, look, sure. I, I'm debt free, you know, and enjoy that part. Yeah. There's an enjoyment that you can have because, because of, and, and not taking credit for the, the debt freeness or whatever, but the weakening of the sin that's occurring is really the spirit doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're outwardly working. That's kind of the mystery of what's happening. We'll talk about that in just a second, but yeah, like, like under, like enjoying the fruits of our sanctification, that there is victory over sin. As incomplete as it will be on this side of heaven, there is a victory that can be had. Like there's there's an ability that we have to make progress against our sin but through when, the Spirit. When you said that, I noticed you immediately said, but, but don't take credit for that. You sure, know? yeah. So is that because that's because of the Holy Spirit actually? Sure, yeah. That's that, and I get um, that. That's the next section. We could kind of move on to that, but the that part in Romans eight thirteen it says the we're we're dying to the we, we're no longer slaves to the flesh, but by the Spirit we are okay. doing this right. So we are in our finite minds doing this these actions, doing these things to fight sin, but that's just because that's the way that the Spirit is 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 doing the work. Like He's doing the work through our through our work if I'm, I'm this oh, is probably where I'm going to kind of get into a little bit of <laughs> I think it's a mystery right yeah it's how a mystery that, yeah that's um uh working together it's it's 100% not us but we do have 100% some like there it's 100% both ways but it's yeah. not us like it's so it's it's this is a monergistic ways. thing but Mon- it looks yeah. synergistic in the yeah. in the outplaying like that's how god has chosen so like our justification is monergistic and all the way, like it is what, you know, that, that is clearly a monergistic process. Like God does all that. Jesus, Jesus paid for our sins, you know, credits it to our account. That's all him, like a hundred percent. There's, there's a sense in which like we come to faith or we, you know, express faith. And there's a sense in which that looks a little bit more synergistic, but really the, the, that faith is put into our heart. We we get the heart transplant so that it really is monergistic, right? With sanctification, there's a sense in which it, it, it looks, it's still monergistic, but it looks more synergistic than our justification does. Right. And then we get to glorification and that's all God too. Right. (laughs) So it's all God all the way, but this looks a little bit on the boots on the ground, right? To use the battle analogy, boots on the ground. This looks a little bit more synergistic because God has, God has done that. Like in the same way that he gives us faith that we express, right? Mm-hmm. He also gives us the spirit, which sanctifies us, but it's through our, like what, like our outworking of, of what we do. So I, this may be totally off, but the analogy in my mind, the picture in my mind for whatever reason that just came to my head was recently, not recently, recently as in like two years ago, my son was learning to ride his bike and I was pushing him with my hand on the back, keeping him up. But he said, look, I'm doing it. I'm doing mm-hmm. it. So it's kind of the picture. Yeah. That, like he, like for, for everything's going on in his mind, he's like, I'm riding my bike. I'm doing this. Yeah. But in reality, like I had my hand on the back. Yeah. Holding me up, just steering him just a teeny bit. Yep. You know? Um, and so it is in that way. It's like, 
it feels, and I, and I love that distinction, by the way, because I think that um, justification is 100% completely the act of God. It's monergistic in that way. When it comes to sanctification, there is, I'm not saying that it is synergistic, but that there are some of those realities in there. Sure. Right? There, there is a responsibility on our part. Yeah. There's not necessarily that responsibility on the justification side because we can't do anything about that. Sure. Right? But there's a responsibility on our, on our part to be obedient, but who actually gives us the ability to be obedient? The sure. The Spirit gives us the ability. It gives us the ability. Gives us so the tools. Gives us the means. It is still monergistic, but yeah. there is a part we play. So it is this kind of mystery of, that's when I just go back to like, well, I'm, I'm a finite yeah. I'm a finite being <laughs> trying to understand infinite realities. Yeah, my notes say just this is a mystery. We gotta trust God on this one, right? But <laughs> right. one of the things that as you list those things off, I was thinking, you know, one of the things I think the Lord has to do is give me inspiration to sure. to, to, to even start, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh I think there's a sense in which this how does the spirit do this work? The Spirit first does the work in justification with that heart transplant. So the Ezekiel 36, right? I'm going to take out your heart of flesh or heart of stone and put a new heart into you, right? So like the desire, like the at justification, we, uh, we get the battle we didn't have before justification, right? right? We now have the battle between the Spirit and the flesh, right? But we also now have a new heart and new desires and new motives to go along with that and all the tools that we need for that. And that's part of the justification part. Sure. So there's a justification of you have been brought from darkness to light. That is a a, a done deal, but that Mm. is happening. And then the spirit is is giving us the fruits of the spirit that Sheldon talked about and y'all mentioned last week. That's good. And... And he's also given us means of grace so that we can cultivate that spirit's work in our life, right? So when we think about like the idea of like falling away or not being successful in our Christian life, a lot of, so a lot of that has to do with not cultivating the spirit's action. And so God has given us external means of grace, fellowship and um, communion and those kinds of things that have, that help cultivate prayer, the helps that help cultivate the Spirit's activity in our life. I know something that really helped me um, was a teaching that pastor did on the scripture that says, if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Sure. Then it lists the desires of the flesh. Then he went on to say, and I don't know this is all encompassing, but I know I decided that's what I'm going to try first. Yep. Because I'm not real good even at identifying the sin. Sure. I mean, even though it's here, when I do it, I'm not, I'm not good at identifying. But yeah. anyway, so he said, and walking in the Spirit is walking in the conscious awareness of Jesus Christ every moment. That has... No days off. Oh, wow. Right. And it's such a... It's just overwhelming to know at any given moment you you can say he's right here. Yeah, he's right here, mm-hmm. and you can say, Lord, I don't even know him. I in a battle here. What's going on? And he's so faithful. Sure. He, he's he, the Holy Spirit either brings you scripture that you've committed to memory, mm-hmm. or even maybe you just read and here it is in your mind. He's reminding you this. Try this. It'll that's work great. because I'm going to make it work. You know. That's and awesome. that's. That's how he gets all the glory for it because you know, I didn't know what to do. He showed me and he did it. And yep. It's just, it, I'm just not good at like fighting a battle here. Men are much better at that, I think. <laughs> but I am good at relationships. Sure. I love, you know, and I would never, if we were walking somewhere, every day, all day long, I'm not going to ignore you. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I can try. It's cultivating that, right? It's, it's, that's, cultivating. it's cultivating that in yes. our lives, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm going to finish with uh, the just a, a verse, Philippians 2.13, to kind of bring this, the whole idea of the Spirit back in. Therefore, be, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not only not, so now, not only in my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling right so to understand the sin is a real reality and 
there's fear and trembling. And a lot of places will stop there and just kind of leave you with the guilt of like, you should be fearful and trembling. And as you work out your salvation, um, I know that's kind of my church context growing up. That was the thing. We'd stop there. But 13 comes right after. And it's not a period after trembling. It's a comma. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. Amen. And I mean, you know, that is a, a travesty to stop that verse halfway through. Yes, it is. I mean, so that is what's happening. The Spirit, it, God is working through the Spirit to both work, will, and to work for his good pleasure to give him glory, right? Um, and I'll just finish with this. I love this Heidelberg Catechism, question one. What is our only comfort in life and death that I'm not my own, but belong both body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all my sins justification with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, right? Romans 13. He has set me free from being a slave to flesh, to be a tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, glorification, right? And makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Sanctification, right? Mm -hmm. So what a beautiful picture of what this process looks like. We have justification, we have sanctification and glorification, and God is doing it all, mm -hmm. and he's using us to do it all. What a cool and awesome and lifelong responsibility um, that we get to be involved in. Final thoughts, or we'll pray. I think we're right at time. Leads us to worship, and yeah. leads us to reverence, awesomeness that like, <clears throat> like humble great well let's pray father thank you for uh these truths thank you for uh for the the opportunity that we get that you've given us to be obedient and um to work out our sanctification thank you for the spirit that gives us uh, or that does the work for us and thank you for this mysterious um way that you've chosen to work this out in our lives that gives us responsibility. Thank you for um, this church uh, and the folks that are here today and the folks that will be listening to this later. We pray that um, it will be a blessing to them. We thank you for, um, for all that you've given us. We thank you that we, that our only comfort in life and in death is you and what you've done for us, and what Christ has done for us, and what we get to do as we approach uh, the end of it with eternal life. Pray that you be with um, Ryan or Jeremy uh, as they preach this morning and um, that you'd be with us all this week as we worship. In your name we pray. Amen.